Welcome back to Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch. I am Peter Schorsch, and you're hunkering down with me. Uh, we are knocking out these podcasts uh, one after the other. Thanks for all the great feedback about the uh, double-sized one with Brad Harold, and then the uh, down and dirty fun episode with Matt Dixon. That is the uh, goal of the podcast right now is to get out a lot of these, especially during the campaign season, talking to people throughout the state. Um, the idea is basically I have these really fun conversations where I get to ask smart people uh, about what's going on in Miami, Orlando uh, today. It'll be the panhandle. And I always like I talked with somebody today while I was doing my morning walk. I'm like, I should have just recorded that. Um, they would have got a little taste of the NBA, but they would have gotten a lot of uh, Florida politics as well. Um, today's guest is just a just a really good person. One of my favorite people that I don't get to see as much, but I follow on social media, uh, Ryan Wiggins. Uh, she is the communications director for the Lincoln Project. Is that the official title? Ryan? Chief of staff. Chief of staff. Yes, you got bumped up. Pardon me. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You know, this is always one of my favorite things to do. I love talking politics with you, Peter. Well, I got to get a piece of business out of the way from Michelle. Okay. I think she got you something from we were just in New York last week. She has a gift for you. She wanted to be on the pod, but we're at the hotel for this conference. So it just didn't work out, but she got you something from the play POTUS. Um, I don't know if you know that play or if maybe you do and that's why, but she got you something about eight women um, <laughs> behind the scenes. It's, it's just like uproariously funny. Um, and so she just wanted me to tell you that she has something coming your way soon. Oh, that's so sweet. I love your wife. Michelle is so sweet. And that is so unnecessary, but so, so sweet. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to talk politics uh, for most of this, but I told you, like, I wanted to start with um, the big event, the Mardi Gras of, of Pensacola, even though you guys celebrate Mardi Gras over there. Um, I'm going to frame this with, I get so many text messages from my friends in the panhandle who taunt me because they're like, you would hate this event because they think I hate because I, I have this like bad take about flyovers and everything. And it's the, and so like people like last week, all I had in my uh, text messages were videos from what is it? Blue angels week. How it's do you, called, how, it's, what? <clears throat> it's called the red, white and blues week here. So usually 4th of July falls during the same week that the blue angels fly there on Pensacola beach home show. And it is, it is, you have nailed it. It is the biggest party in Pensacola. I would compare it more to Gasparilla than I would to even Mardi Gras. I mean, it is, it is, <clears throat> I think we broke a record this year. There were more than 74,000 cars that came across the bridge just to watch the show. And that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, it's a lot of fun. And I hear you, but you know, growing up in a military town, Peter, in, in a Navy town, we are so supportive of, them here. I mean, Pensacola is the cradle of naval aviation. In fact, I learned this past weekend that if you are going into aviation in the Navy, the Coast Guard, or the Air Force, you start your first tours in Pensacola because we have all the simulations here. So it, it is it is kind of a celebration of our military heritage here. And we absolutely love them because Blue Angels call Pensacola home. So yeah, it is a big, fun, fun, fun week. It reminds you of all the good of the 
this country. And um, it's it's good stuff. It's just a really, really fun week. So we just came back from the beach, much needed vacation. I hadn't taken one in about two years and I had completely unplugged. I turned off my phone. It was lovely. Um, and just really enjoyed being in the water with family and enjoying, you know, seeing our military do what they do. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, why am I not at a bar called Flounders? Like, I just, <laughs> I want to be there right now. I, I, I can just, I can feel the, like, the, like, stickum on the bottom of the bar from all the sweet, like, drinks that have been spilled uh, throughout there. You know, Flounders has got just the best, like, mahi mahi like sandwich i can just i can i can get that i I just know that's happening already um it's kind of making me think of the great bar in the new top gun uh that jennifer connelly's at which is just awesome because i love the fact that jennifer connelly is like one person manning an entire bar of 150 pilots there's nobody else working (laughs) at that bar at the hard deck and she is just killing it like no, nobody like there's a great theory in the Atlantic and I, I got to tell you, I, I, I buy into it that basically Top Gun 2, like Maverick is actually dead. Like he dies in that in the 7,600 miles an hour and has to eject. Uh, I don't know if you're I mean, I, you're probably more aware of it than I am. But if you eject at 7,600 miles an hour while traveling at that, your body literally will ex- like it will just be like exploded from the outside. Yes. Um, and <laughs> like then they basically say the rest of that is basically Maverick kind of in purgatory, kind of trying to work his way into heaven. And that's why like like you see like all the people like there's there's so many like kind of kind of like gousy, like kind of of a hazy scenes in there where it's like is this is this real life or is this like you know or is this is this you know is he died and gone to heaven he's making amends with everybody uh you know like everybody's wearing like classic clothes like there's no there's no time stamping really in the movie there's no dating of anything uh john ham is there which i know for a lot of people would be uh heavenly and so um i, I kind of buy into that theory so <laughs> um, going back to Susky, I know he had a, he was at the Alex Andrade fundraiser, which was funny because like I asked Alex, I'm like, Hey, like who is at your fundraiser so I can put a spot it in. And he put Matt Gates, and I'm just like, man, that's just not the first person I would like list as like spotted at my fundraiser. I know he's still the Congressman and I know like they're tight and everything like that. But I think I would leave with like, you know, the lobbyist, I would kind of have just left Gates out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been weird with Andrade. Um, what I have seen him embrace in the past two years, it's been kind of interesting. I mean, he's the only guy I outside of, you know, one of the big donors in town that has um, a Matt Gates sign out. I mean, there are a lot of people around here looking for an alternative right now. So it's very strange <laughs> to see. I well, agree with you. I don't know that I would be out there, you know, this is this is who is here. But I mean, I guess it brings some credibility that, you know, maybe he is a Trump guy too. I don't I don't know. I don't know that play. So I'll start with Andrade and I'll say I like I like him. Like he's definitely not Sabatini. I don't think he's like I don't think he has the meanness and the um just the small dickedness that like Sabatini <laughs> has and some of the other like people in that, like Alex, but Alex is definitely like, he's definitely a bro legislator. Like he is definitely from the bro caucus and he, 
And like, like he, it's not that he's Jamie Grant, but it's like on one hand, he'll like do like the high, like, like constitutional scholar part. And then he'll mix it in with, Hey, we were down at, uh, you know, uh, handlebars and mustaches drinking three for one. And you're just like, man, I really wish you just like would like be 34 instead of 24. And that's, that's my hang up with Alex because I do think he's a smart guy. I, I will say, I do think he's in touch and represents his community. Well, like, I think he's like a, like, this is not a guy who's just phoning it in or something like that. I think he's an active, like, I just got an email, I think yesterday, like another town hall, like he's, he is constantly doing stuff. And, but sometimes the aspects of the bro caucus just I don't know I'm just not bro enough for all that well I agree with you on the on the kind of grow it up thing I mean you know I was one of the first people Alex met with when he was going to run for office around here and it's interesting that you say you know you think he represents his area well I think that there's something to be said for that I also think you know Pensacola is the south Okay, and I mean, it's, you know, Florida is weird like that, you know, the further you go north, the more southern you end up and there's a lot about, I don't know, the in your faceness, the, um, the trolling, the, you know, the constant need to be right that just it doesn't it doesn't settle here. And I mean, he he has a real competitor. I don't know. I mean, Greg, does oh, he? What is it? yeah, he does. Um, it's a former um professional baseball player um and i mean the guy the guy who's running against him is kind of a perennial candidate too but i mean it's it's just interesting because the other guy's trying to kind of separate himself of i don't do the trolling thing you know i'm not i'm not gonna be out here being loud just to be loud and i mean that's kind of what i wish that alex would do i wish i wish that the guy that i sat down with when he was originally running was still the guy that was holding that seat because that guy was very passionate about, you know, doing well for the community and less passionate about making a big name for himself. I mean, when I first met with him, he was more in the J.R. Williamson caucus than he was in the Bro caucus. And we need more J.R. Williamson's in the Florida legislature. Yeah, I don't like seeing him go. I mean, it's like when you read about, and I'm not, I'm glad this guy is coming in, or I, I'm glad, this is not to take away from him. There's a guy that's running in neck of the woods who's, his net worth is $450 million. You know, you've got to have some Jayers to balance that out. I mean, I just don't even know how you relate to the, you know, the needs of, the average needs of, I don't know why you're running for the state out if you're worth 450, but you know, that's another thing, but you need the Jayers, the working class guys, uh, you know, that to balance out, you know, the legislature that I like that idea more so than, um, you know, just lawyers and, and consultants being up there. Um, by the way, just in the background, it seems like they're doing a little, uh, repair work here on the breakers <laughs> at the, uh, you know, this is a, uh, historic hotel. It's the only way you're going to keep it up is if you, um, bring over a few folks to paint it in the one part of the entire courtyard that I chose to. Um, so I will move over here. Um, going back to the, the, the bro caucus, I like the guys, cause remember these guys are all in at the same time. Like I like, I kind of like the more serious guys like Toby Overdorf, Tom Leak. Um, uh -huh. You know, these guys are, they're just as, I don't want to say Trumpy, they're just as conservative as the Andrades and Sabatini's, but they're not like, 
going on Instagram and, and doing weird videos and shit like that. And I get, you know, they go about their business, they get stuff done. And it's like, that's the Republican caucus that I still, I still believe. And in fact, that's who I'm going to fight for because the Democrats are not going to win. So it's a choice between, do you want more Tom Leakes in the world or do you want more Anthony Sabatini's? And, you know, we, you and I are nominally Republican, but we have to like, we have to make a choice and that's, but that's the fight. I mean, it's not Republican versus Democrat in the state. Well, I mean, you know, Peter, I am a big believer that the country is best served and the state is best served when there is a diversity in our ideas, diversity in our leadership. I think two healthy parties is better than one. And so I would agree with you. I mean, you know, it's one of the things people think about Lincoln all the time. They're like, oh, well, you know, y'all are, y'all are anti-Republican. We're not, we're not, we're nonpartisan. We are, we are anti this radicalization. We're anti, you know, the Trumpism. And I mean, we would love to see an actual healthy, stable party return. Um, because that better that's the that that way the country is best served. But you're not going to find that in this current climate. And so I agree with you. I mean, you you I believe very strongly that um, your voting behavior is not you know a love affair. It's not a marriage. It is public transportation, and you get on the bus that takes you closest to where you want to get. And, you know, sometimes that is going to be a moderate Republican. Sometimes that is going to be a moderate Democrat. But the point is moderate. Right. So, I mean, you don't want extremism because most of the country and you know this, the fastest growing political affiliation in the country is NPA. And there's not a close second. I think that, you know, you have all, a lot of people who are sending a very loud message that, you know, they want a more moderate, um, you know, I, I set of think, legislators. I think. uh uh, one of the best pieces that I've read, and I keep coming back to him, is David French just wrote a piece. Um, I think it was called The Three Americas. He wrote it for July 4th, and it was just basically talking about the exhausted majority. Um, yeah. And it was just, you know, people who are just, just like every time somebody says, hey, well, Trump sucks, you know, and then you look at, you know, the extreme progressive left and you're like, yeah, I don't want that shit either. I don't want to yeah. defund the police. And I'm, you know, I don't know what to do about the like the extreme identity politics where everybody is their own nation at this point and you know i mean i i don't want that and i don't want the trump part and uh and so it's like i do political work for a living and i find myself like identifying with the exhausted majority where it's just like in fact like if you look at my tweets like in general and some of my social media there's like, I'll tweet stuff from Florida politics, but a lot of the other stuff that I'm tweeting, a lot of the other stuff that I'm thinking about, it's political, but it's like intersection stuff. It's more like politics and sports, politics and culture, like stuff like that. Just because like, I'm just over the, like, I can't, I can't deal with the trolling either. Like it just, it's, it is exhausting after a while. Well, it's just nasty, right? Like it's nastiness for no reason. And you and I have had this conversation. It's like in a time where the world is basically on fire, you need all the kindness you can get. And you need people who are who are willing to reach out. And, and I mean, I, I'm going to go back to this person because I, I truly think that 
my area is losing a lion with the retirement of J.R. Williamson, but J.R. was really good at that, right? Like he was really good at putting kindness first and trying to understand the other side, or at least let them feel like they're, they've been heard. And I think that there's, there's a need for that. There's a need for cohesion and for unification. And, you know, you're really not seeing that. And one of the things that I was, I was really disappointed in, in 2018, um, you know, we had open primaries on the ballot and it was something both of the political parties fought against, but it's what's best for the people because it, it's going to force a more moderate electorate. If you have, um, if, if, if you can choose and you get to choose, you know, which, which Democrat or which Republican, and it gives the NPAs a chance to be involved. So I think that that is, that's the problem is that what you're seeing in the parties, what's left in the parties because of this exhaustive majority, um, are kind of the more extremists in each side. And that's not certain. And then they're, they're the ones who are selecting who, you know, the rest of us get to vote on. I don't think that that serves this country very well. I don't think it serves the masses very well. And, um, and I don't know how that changes because the party, both parties are always going to fight against an open primary because they want control over who their candidate is going to be. So it's just, it's, well, it's kind of a stuck situation right now. You look at the meanness factor and it's like DeSantis is just like, I'll give him all the credit in the world for being super smart and for uh, being like identifying issues that people maybe weren't even thinking about. And I can say he's his response to COVID was, you know, better than average, if not, you know, strong in some areas. But God dang, man, the guy is just mean. Like, I mean, there's just. I, I just have not seen somebody who just like, when does he, when is he like kind? When is he like, uh, and maybe it's in closed, uh, uh, you know, behind closed doors and all that, but I, that's not what I hear from, you know, my sources with people that, you know, interact with him lately. They, you know, at best, they just, you know, they, they say he just kind of like, you know, he looks at his watch and, you know, he's, He's ready to go on to the next thing. He might, you know, he and Casey might be the nicest people in the world to each other, but Jesus, they are, he is just, he is just spiteful sometimes. And um, petty. And, and petty. And petty. I mean, yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's kind biggest, of the that thing. Is, yeah, yeah, that's go ahead, my biggest problem with them. No, I'm just going to say that is my biggest problem with him is just, you know, it goes back. The cruelty is the point. And this guy, he's not cruel in the same way that Trump was because Trump is, you know, a once in a century, just, you know, horrible dictatorist person. But like DeSantis, Jesus, the guy just always, he's always aggrieved. He's always angry. You know, he's always disdainful. He's always condescending. You, you just don't see him ever lifting others up. It is always about him. And so, um, and I think honestly, and this, I know that everybody loves him right now and he's the hot stock. I think once that gets portrayed at a national level i i do think it's going to be it'll be interesting because he can avoid the capital press for right now and he can continue to like get whatever shitty like florida conservative patriot news.net.com to cover his press conferences and he can ignore political florida and florida politics and all that but when he starts running for president and you're seeing this now he can't avoid the New Yorker. He's not going to be able to avoid that. They're, they're big enough that like, if he, if they choose to ignore him, if, if, if his team chooses to ignore them, 
he will end up losing in the long run versus them. They still do are they still are the human relations department for the presidency. I think I think that there's something to be said for that. I think that, that that's probably accurate to some degree. But I will tell you this too. He is reading his base. And and Peter, what we are seeing internally yeah. is that there's just so much anger right now in the country. And and, and the right doesn't have the monopoly on that. The left has that too. And I mean, you know, Peter, I think anybody who has been in politics for years and years and years, the way you and I have, I think therapy always benefits them. And I have spent my fair share of time in therapy. And you know, one of the things I learned is that, you know, anger is the easiest emotion to feel. Okay. It's usually the thing that masks other emotions because, you know, Anger is a powerful one, right? It, it puts it puts the power on you. It gets, lets you feel dominant, makes you feel like you are in control. Where, you know, a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness or, you know, fear are very, very vulnerable emotions. And so anger, I think, sometimes masks those, those emotions because they're easier to feel and they make you feel better. But but it's not, it doesn't serve. And that's, and that I think is what you're seeing in this country right now. I think you are seeing a crisis of isolation. I think that there are people who are lonely and that they are turning to social media and they're turning to anywhere they can and they're being loud and they're trying to get human interaction. They're trying to get human engagement. I mean, they, and, and this anger is coming out and it's coming out everywhere. It's coming on the left and the right, but what is behind that anger? That behind that anger is helplessness and hopelessness and a fear about where the country's going. And, and on both sides, a fear about where the country's going and a fear about, you know, how am I going to afford my groceries and the gasoline I need to go to get to work to, to be able to, to buy those groceries? What am I going to do about my kids' public schooling when there is a teaching crisis? I mean, there's a lot of people in this country right now who don't feel like they have control and they're, and they're going through this alone. They don't realize how that a lot I, of Americans are in the same boat. I, I think you're 100% correct. I think that people's fears are legitimate. Like, I mean, like the, the, the economic anxiety, whether or not it is self-caused or not, um, whether or not it is, a, you know, an unwillingness 20 years ago to like get on board globalization, to re-educate, et cetera, like during the Clinton, you know, years, like just the decision to like not do it, uh, you know, and, and they have anxiety about, you know, immigration and they have anxiety, more than anxiety, but anxiety about all that. Because I'll say like, you know, there's this great poll out today about the from the New York Times, and it basically says the Democrats are now the party of uh, well-educated white people, and that had not been the case. I mean, we think about it like we think like the hyper-educated in like the Northeast are liberal, yes, but like that had traditionally been a Republican bastion. It's basically well-to-do white people, economically well-off, or traditionally moderate Republican. That doesn't exist anymore. That is flipped. And, you know, Hispanics and other ethnicities have now created a coalition around Republican candidates. And those that's inversed. Um, and as I'm sitting here literally at the breakers, I'm, I'm looking at all of these upper, you know, upper class white folks. And no, they don't have anxiety. But you take a step, you go 20 miles to the west of here and you drive through the heartland in Florida and it's like being in a different century. And the problem is, it's like the people in this building, I don't think that they care or ever see that, and, you know, 
it's not flyover country, but that's what it is. And it sucks. And there's like, I'm, I'm not pretending that I'm better than it or anything like that. Um, and I don't know what the solution is. All I can say is I think you're right. And I think these people have legitimate grievances. Now I will say, I don't necessarily think that backing people like Donald Trump is how, how you solve that because he's willing to throw out, you know, the entire system that we've built here to, to, you know, restore some balance. And that's just, you know, that's just crazy talk. Um, I, I do want to run down because I, I want to run down some races with you because you know him better. Um, is Mark Lombardo, does he have a chance versus Matt Gates? He's running in Congressional District 1. Oh, He's yeah. a self-funder. <clears throat> I, I mean, here's, here's my take on that. I wish he had jumped in before like two weeks ago, right? So, I mean, he has the money. There is an appetite here. I mean, the thing about Congressional District 1, Peter, is that I-10 runs through the middle of it, right? So north of I-10 is going to always be Matt Gates' country because one of the things that Matt has done successfully, that Trump did successfully, that DeSantis is currently doing successfully, is he's tapping into that anger. He's fueling it. He's adding gasoline to it. He's validating it. And those people are, are exactly what you're talking about. It's, it, that is a very poor part of our state. It's a very poor part of, of CD1. Um, and they they do they are scared. They are they are angry and they and and they are not the most educated, but they're also really tired of hearing about it, right? They're really tired of the left trying to tell them how to think, how to be, how that they're deplorables and all of that stuff. So, and and I think that, you know, I was going to go, I was going to check this before I went back to the Lombardo part, but when you were talking about how, you know, this has changed and now the Democrats are, you know, the, the rich, white, educated people, I really think that started with Hillary and talking down from the ivory tower. And I think that we saw as a country what happens that people don't wanna be talked down to. They don't want any, they don't want people, you know, flexing their intelligence and trying to be like they're better than them. These people don't want that in their lives. And so they're rejecting it and they're voting for people who they believe, you know, see them for who they are and value them for who they are. And so, I mean- Am I, am I allowed to interject here and just say yeah. back to you and just say, and this is where I get in trouble on the podcast. They are, for the most part, better than like. And I know that that's like I hate the fact that we are looking down at people who are successful and educated, and like we have turned the meritocracy that built this country into what it is. Like that is being upended. Like no, like if you don't go, like the person that graduated with a master's degree should be lauded, and somehow, like. And I know this is just going to get me in trouble. Like somehow, like we are like, hey, let's let's like and DeSantis is all about this. Like we need more welders. And it's always about getting literally like they say, we need more welders in Florida. Let's do more welders like refer. They're talking about refrigerator repairmen. I never hear him say we need more STEM engineers or STEM, uh, you know, graduates in STEM or that we need more uh, professional class people. He never says that. But who is he talking to? He's talking to his base and his base are blue collar workers. Right. And so he's giving them the messaging that they want to hear. And I listen, I don't disagree with you, Peter. But what I would say is that you are only as smart as you are emotionally intelligent, too. Right. And so you have to look at these people and you say, okay, well, 
you know, they may not be the most educated, but let's listen to them. Let's see what where what their concerns are. Instead of telling them what they should be concerned about, let's listen to them and see what they're actually concerned about. And then let's okay, do something are, about that. Uh, all right. I, well, I, like I, I said, <laughs> Peter, you and I are on the exact same page uh, with all of this stuff. But I mean, they're concerned. Look, they're they're freaking out about I mean, they're freaking out about inflation. They're freaking out about gas prices. They're freaking out about how they're going. They're they're truly concerned about an indoctrination in their schools. You know what? So am I. But I'm concerned about the right indoctrinating my kids in their schools. So, I mean, it's just I think that I think that what you do is like the Democrats do need to do a better job of messaging. And the Republicans, you got to know that they're going to try to make these people afraid. So you have got to help, you know, make these people feel safe and, and make them feel less vulnerable and show them the path and show them the plans. And that's not happening. What you're having is, you know, toddler fights on the playground instead of a grown up conversations that you and I have had countless times sitting at a bar at the governor's club when we've been on the other side of issues. Like the only way you're going to get there is to listen. And no one wants to listen right now. Neither side wants to listen right now. And I will say, and like, and this is where, again, I am wrong when I say this, but like, when I think like a third of like the people who want to be listened to are, you know, unwilling to, you know, accept things on uh, race and are, you know, that there's so much of it is based on white grievance and so much of it is xenophobia. That's not to say all of it is. I'm, I still think that the overwhelming majority of the fear and anxiety is economic related. But like when a third of it is just like, well, you know what, we just we just don't like, you know, all these people coming into our country. I can't like I stopped listening at that point. No, maybe and you're right. Maybe, you're right to. You are right to. You cannot give voice hard, to that. It's hard to sift through, like my Republican friends. Like if they're, like you know, like I don't know which ones are the racists and which ones are the just conservative. I'm fine with the conservative part. I get that. And I listen. The like some. Uh, I, you haven't heard me like pushing back on some of this indoctrination stuff on the schools because I do have a nine and a half year old and I like, I do like, no, I don't want Ella Joyce knowing about any of that stuff. Like any I, of it. I don't, I don't want the word sex ever brought up in the third grade classroom. And it hasn't been at yeah. Ella's school. Um, it hasn't been in most schools. I mean, that's the hasn't. thing is that we were fixing problems this past legislative session that didn't exist, that existed in the fears of these people that I'm talking about. And I mean, I think Peter, you know, you were talking about, you know, how do you talk about race, right? So, you know, you have these people and they're openly racist about certain things. Some of those you will never get through to. Some of them, it's like, well, why, do you, why are you so concerned about Mexicans crossing the border? What is it that concerns you? They're gonna take your job? Well, they're not the ones taking your job. These massive corporations that are paying these guys under a living wage, under minimum wage, because they are not American citizens and they are not entitled by law to our you know minimum wage they're not getting that that's the, that's who's taking your jobs corporations who are hiring essentially slave labor that's not the problem that's not a a mexican who is trying to do better for his family and for his life that's not his doing that is the corporation that hired him that's their doing and so i mean i think sometimes it's it's it is it is talking to them and it is it is Hearing, I mean, you can't fight something if you don't know what you're fighting. So, I mean, it's hearing. Well, you're clearly, what they are. 
I, I commend you because you're clearly, and it's why I wanted to get you on the pod is like, you are definitely like you are of where you're from. And like, you are not, you, I don't hear a condescending tone in your, in your voice, you know, like you, I, you clearly, I know that you are not voting for Matt Gates, but no. you are not, you, but you are not criticizing his supporters for the beliefs that they have. And you're, you, you clearly understand um, where they're coming from. And that's, you know, uh, you do an admirable job, um, uh, you know, kind of bridging two, two or straddling two different worlds here. Um, just continue my quick rundown. Uh, yeah, Lombardo. So you asked me about Lombardo. Let me get back Lombardo, to that. So North yeah, County right, get, is going to yeah. always go, is always going to go Matt Gates. North north of I-10 is his base. They they are the ones that have Fox News burned into their TV screens. They're not going anywhere. Um, south of I-10 is a different story. And then because that is typically the more educated, the more wealthy, I mean, that's waterfront, right? Throughout those counties. And so I think... At, I think that if Bardo had had more of a head start, he'd have a better shot, but he is absolutely drowning out the airwaves. He's forcing Matt Gates to respond. So, I mean, we are right now in, in, you know, an ad war here where, you know, they're going back and forth and it dominates, uh, you know, all of the streaming platforms everywhere. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not betting on that horse, but you know, I'd love to see it. I would love to believe that this area is capable of saying, you know what, enough's enough. Let's get back to the good stuff. Um, let's get back to being who we are. Let's give back. Let's, let's remember that this is an area that has more churches per capita than any other place in the country. And let's start acting on those Christian ideals and start being nicer to the people who are, you know, around here. I'd love to see that. I don't think that you're going to, not this cycle. It's just too hot right now. I will say we uh, like um, during the last couple of years, I found myself in the panhandle much more often, probably in, in rural Florida over the last five years. Number one, because of uh, Ella's riding horses. So like we're in Ocala all the time. We're in Lake County all the time outside the villages, et cetera. Like I've been to I've been to the middle of Florida, you know, a dozen times over the last like year. Um and then with the RV, we were always in Pensacola, Destin. Now, not like north of I-10, like you're saying, but you're still like coming, you're going through, you know, a lot of the towns to get to the other towns. And it is like when you say the churches, you could leapfrog from uh, church, Pensacola yeah. to Panama City on um, on the number of Baptist churches that are, are up there. It's kind of crazy. And it's gorgeous. Like, I, it's just such, it's so naturally beautiful and you know, people, they keep their houses tidy and they, they, they do respect God and country. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a nice part of the world. Um, there's a house district over there that I don't know if you're tracking, but are you watching the house district six with, uh, Griff Griffiths? And that uh, one's out of, that one's, that one's out of my purview, Peter. Like that one's, that's a little further down. I tend where I'm at. I'm watching one, two and three. And then, um, the Senate races around or the Senate race around here too, um, Broxton's race. So, and then a lot Broxton's, of yeah. our, uh, Jay Trumbull's fine. Right. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no, there's, that, and Broxton's going to be fine. I mean, Alex has, um, Alex has a real competitor, um, but he's an incumbent. And so, I mean, house campaigns are going to help him there. Um, but, you know, again, the problem with Alex 
is Alex will go on social media and will fight his own constituents. Alex loves to take on Andy Marlette and that doesn't serve either one of them. So Alex had a really good ally in Rick Altson and has burned that bridge. And so, I mean, that is that is the real problem that Alex has is a chip on his shoulder that people are seeing and are not and are looking for someone who is not going to, you know, take on his own constituents. So I think uh, Alex, I love me. Alex well, I love may me have some Rick Altson. I yes, love me, me some too. Rick Altson, by the way. Uh, there's another there's a guy who. We talk about knowing an area, uh, and Rick Outson is definitely that person. Um, are you following any of the, um, is there any like local races that people should be like, that I guess like maybe have some statewide interest? I saw there was a Escambia County Commissioner candidate the other day who got arrested on July 4th for kind of open like on carry. purpose. Yeah, for open the open carry. carry. Yeah. That's, he's setting that up for a court case, right? Is that the idea there? Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I just don't think he was that intelligent. And I think he was out there just trying to like, look at me and my gun. And I mean, oh, that's, it wasn't. I don't okay. think, I don't think he was, I don't, I don't think so. But what I will tell you is I think that every local race in the country right now is important on a national scale, because this is what, this has been the long-term plan is that, you know, you get these people, you get, you know, MAGA elected at the local level because no one cares about local races and they get in quietly and then they go up from there and then you know they, they start building their name id and then suddenly you know they are your state representative they are your state senator they are your supervisor of elections they are your your congressman and so they are running your school boards and and so that i think all of these local races are very very important to pay attention to and and no one really has the bandwidth to do it and that's like i said that's all part of the plan so I mean, the, the race I'm really worried about, I'm worried about who is going to replace Jair um, because there is, there's a, a woman running for that seat whose husband is currently a county commissioner and he is, you know, as we would say up here in the South, crazy as a sprayed roach. I mean, he, he mm -hmm. made national attention getting um, well, for his ads when he was running for county commission where he was, you know, shooting off an AR or, or it, I mean, it's just, it's, it, I, I am. I grow more and more concerned every day by local elections, and I, I encourage anybody who is watching or listening to your podcast to really dial in and get to know those candidates because all politics is local. And if you get these people in here, there's really no stopping them on their path to bigger and better things. That's House District Three. That's House District Three. It's uh, her name is Maria. Um, Goodness, why can't I remember her last name? Calkins? Is it Calkins? Calkins, yes. Calkins. Yes. And her husband is is a Calkins who is on, like I said, the county commission in Santa Rosa County right now. And that county commission is a little bit bonkers anyway. So I mean it's pay attention to your local races. They are as important, if not more important, than some of your state races um, this go round. Um, the race I'm watching up there like that again is House District One, which is you know, Michelle Salzman, yep. um, you know, she's getting challenged again by Mike Hill, uh, yep. you know, just who is, was, you know, he was the worst lawmaker in the Florida legislature by all accounts uh, mm -hmm. until Anthony Sabatini came along. She was fortunate enough to beat him. But then, like, I go and look and he outraised her the last uh, two weeks. And so, you know, there's a legitimate you know, I don't know who's donating to him. I got to go back and look and see 
who is doing that. If it's, I think he gets a little bit of insurance money because he's a state farm rep, even though they try and distance themselves from him. But it's just frightening that that he might be back in the legislature. Uh, you know, that's just uh, so. I, I I urge all the podcast listeners, all twelve of them, you know, like to you know get, get out there and help Michelle Salzman. If you're down in Miami and listening, that is a race where an incumbent Republican needs $1,000, $2,000, and $1,000 or $2,000 goes a long way in that race, uh, more so than it will, you know, in some Miami battleground seat where um, it might get drowned out. Um, Speaking of your big issue about fighting MAGA, um, how is the Lincoln Project going? It's great. You know, Peter, we had a hiccup last year and i think a lot of people would say more than a hiccup i would be one of those people since i was comms director during that time but you know we have shed so much of the things that you know we're waiting we're holding us back and we're causing some problems and i mean you know we have three women who run the day-to-day um at the lincoln project and they're all great all from different backgrounds all from different things i mean i do chief of staff we have a wonderful Girl named um, Michelle Kenny, who is our creative director, and then um, another wonderful woman, who is is our back of the house um, person, and and it's it's really great because I, I do I have always thought you know Lincoln could use a little bit of a softer touch on the inside, and we are at the table, and you know we're able to say okay yes this ad but we might want to change it here because you know right now i think that the most important audience going into um the midterms is really women um and women don't always vote and they don't always and sometimes they vote the way you know they're being told to vote by their husbands or you know whatever to have some women who are influencing the messaging coming out of Lincoln and influencing the ads that are coming out of Lincoln and influencing, you know, Rick and Reed who, who, who run the place is, is important. And I think that since that has taken place, I mean, I, I took over as chief of staff in December of last year. Um, it, you've seen a change. You've seen a change in the kind of press we get. You've seen a change in the kind of ads we're cutting. You've seen a change in who we are messaging to and how we are going about it and where we see the ban in line moving. And so um, Lincoln's doing really, really well. I mean, we are really, we're no longer the new kids on the block. We're no longer, you know, the new shiny thing. Um, but we are doing, we are on mission and we are doing a lot of good right now. I mean, we have started a coalition of other organizations who are, you know, pro-democracy organizations that's called the union. It is a great thing to sign up for, uh, join the union.us. Um, it connects volunteers with the organizations that need them. Um, to do their mission. And it is all volunteer run. It is powered by Lincoln, but there is not a single paid Lincoln project person who works on it. It's all done by volunteers. Um, we have LPTV, which is our streaming channel. And, you know, that's where you can go and find Rick's hot takes. And I mean, yesterday after the hearing, he was completely on fire. Um, so we're, we're, yeah, he really was. <laughs> and you're gonna I actually see watched it today. Yeah, I I saw I saw him on instant and I went and I'm like, whoa, whoa, he's yeah. a, he, you know, if he's a pitcher, sometimes you go eight or nine innings and he went eight or nine innings yesterday, just throwing heat throughout all of it. Um, you know, I'm glad you addressed the first part, like, and just said it was a hiccup and I'm not going to even belabor that. I want to talk about, I will say, yeah, there was a dip, you know, there was a, 
there was a, a correction and you're all stuck. Um, and I think it's actually kind of remarkable how you all have reemerged, uh, especially during the Jan 6 committees, um, and have taken on a very, you know, it's not Trump so much as it's a pro-democracy vibe, uh, which is so important now, and which is probably more, like, has the potential to be more enduring, too. Like, you know, the Donald Trumps of the world, the Orbans of the world, they will come and go for better or worse. But, you know, right now, democracy is under assault in so many places. And it is, you know, democratic levels have regressed even in places that, you know, say that they are democratic, that they're not, you know, an election is only good as the people who count the, you know, the ballots. So I think that's what I like the most right now about the Lincoln Project. And I, I will say, I kind of, um, I consider myself like Lincoln Project adjacent, uh, you know, because, you know, you guys have great ads, you guys put them out in Florida. And I always tell everybody, it's like, the moment you guys put out something, it's so good for the, it's so good for the clicks. I mean, it's just, it's excellent for the clicks, <laughs> because, you know, Rick can bring the clicks. And it's just like, you know, you get you get Rick going. And I honestly, like, I think I'm a five tool player. But man, that guy, like, he is so fucking witty. So many, like, he comes with it every single time. It takes me 30 minutes to come up with, like, the good tweet for the next hour. He is just out there rat-a-tat-tatting. It is, it is magic watching him. It really, really is. And I know, like, I, I, I get Rick Wilson. I get the criticisms. I get the love and all that. But it's still, it's still awesome to see him just function at the high level that he is right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, Rick was made for this kind of work. And and like I said, I mean, it's it's always fun to watch. It's always fun to learn how their brains are working around something. I mean, Rick and Reed and Stu and Joe Trippy and all of them like it's I'm on a, the call that I was on right before I, I jumped on this is, you know, a principal call we have you know three times a week. And it's just it's fascinating to listen to their strategy and then to be able to you know, interject, you know, oh, but are you thinking about this? And like having those conversations, it's like, it's, it's iron sharpening iron and it is, it's fascinating, but it is also, you know, like I said earlier, it's really nice to not have the pressure of being the new kids, the new shiny lightning in a bottle group. I mean, it's nice to be able to focus on mission and to be able to, to strategically move forward with that mission. And I mean, Lincoln loves you too, Peter. I mean, we, we love when you come on our shows and, and, and offer, you know, Florida perspective, because I don't think anyone knows Florida like you know Florida. And I think that, you know, especially with DeSantis moving himself into this national spotlight while also trying not to move himself into this national spotlight, while also running for governor, while running for president, while trying to set up infrastructure in all these other states, you are a vital resource. And Florida politics is a uh, vital resource to, to what we do. I mean, so, um, you know, I, I actually do think that you are Lincoln adjacent because I think that you are a very vital part of what we do. And I think that you will continue to be as we watch Ron DeSantis run for president against Donald Trump, potentially starting next year. So, I mean, it's 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 an interesting, interesting time to be a Floridian and to understand the politics here and all of it. It's just it's it's and to be in a position where, you know, you can you can evoke change throughout the country. And, and, and you can let the people, you know, you and I were both talking a little while ago about, you know, feeling alienated by either political party right now. I mean, those people find themselves a home in Lincoln. I mean, we're not a political party, but we will, we will help you, you know, 
feel like you have a voice and feel like there are people with you and you know help get rid of that that culture of loneliness that i was talking about like there 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 are people there are more people than not who are in the moderate camp well i i want to thank you for coming on today i will i will look in the mail every day for a uh, deputy lincoln project badge um <laughs> from you and i will check in with you again hopefully before uh, or the podcast will hopefully before the general so to hear what's going on, get a rundown on what happened in some of these. I mean, it's all GOP primaries basically up there. So, um, you know, thank you. Keep up the good work and we'll, uh, we will talk to you again uh, soon. Thank you for having me on, Peter. I really appreciate it. Talk to you later. All right, bye.